0: Our manner of living, in a very real sense, is directly proportional to the depth of our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. The Apostle Paul tells us this as we turn now to the Word of God, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Colossians 1, beginning with verse 15. that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, rather on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, as we turn to this passage of Scripture... Show us Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. One of our veterans several years ago told me of his time at the U.S. Military Cemetery in Normandy, France. He spoke of standing and looking out over the many, many white grave markers that represent the soldiers that gave the ultimate sacrifice to protect our freedoms. I remember standing up on the hill at Arlington National Cemetery outside of Washington DC and looking out over those white grave markers. And just thinking about the price that has been paid for me and my family and for this church to worship and to live in freedom. Renee and I observe the very dignified, solemn ceremony of the soldiers at the tomb of the unknown soldier marching in perfect cadence, showing respect to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, do we really think that we can consider what Memorial Day is all about and it not affect how we live? Considering the sacrifice of one's life that was given in service to our country, would that not cause us to live in a more worthy manner, to live maybe with more honor, certainly to live with greater gratitude. Who or what inspires you? On this Memorial Day weekend, certainly those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice inspire us to live better as citizens of this great country. But today we want to reflect upon the ultimate one who inspires living. We might even say living better. Walking in a more worthy manner. It's the very one that the Apostle Paul encouraged the Colossians to look to. To be inspired to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Last week, we began this series on the book of Colossians by considering Paul's prayer. You'll find that prayer in the first 14 verses of chapter 1. And in verses 3 through 7, or 3 through 8 rather, Paul begins by giving thanks. Colossians, you're doing a great job. You're living faithfully before the Lord. Way to go. I thank God for you. But then in the second section of this prayer, beginning with verse 9, Paul petitions God, asks God, God, make, make my brothers and sisters in Colossae, these new believers who are facing the threat Of false teaching. Oh Lord. Make them more worthy. Enable them even more. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing. To him. That was Paul's prayer for them. Good job. Do more. And the basis of his prayer. Verses 13 and 14. Paul gives thanks that that the saints in Colossae, as well as all the saints who have been brought out of the dominion of darkness into the light, the kingdom of his son, he gives thanks. For the kingdom of his beloved son is the one in whom they have full redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verses 13 and 14. So Paul bases his prayer On the work of Jesus Christ and on his person, the eternal second member of the Trinity. And so the section that follows, verses 15 through 23 that I read earlier, is a fuller explanation of Paul's description of Jesus as the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins if believers then, and we can add believers now, are to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, as they face false teaching, as we face false teaching, and all matter of obstacles to living out the Christian life, they need to know and we need to know more and more who Jesus is, And what Jesus has done for us. In other words, Paul prayed for them, 1 through 14. Now, in verses 15 through 23, he encourages them, he inspires them to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you as I challenge myself are we in the Word studying about Jesus? Are we in the Word learning about Jesus? Are we giving ourselves to knowing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us? If you are concerned about your walk, am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? I might suggest, in fact I will suggest because Paul is teaching that first and foremost we should be students of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our manner of living, our walk, is directly proportional to our depth of understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And who is Jesus? Paul tells us two things about Jesus. He is Lord over creation. And secondly, he is Lord over redemption. A new creation by his reconciling work well, let's look at verses 15 through 17 as we turn to Jesus Lord over creation Jesus's preexistence is Paul's point in verses 15 through 17 Jesus did not begin at creation <laughs> he was before there was anything So his pre-existence is described in three ways. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The second part of verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. And then look down to verse 17, the first part of verse 17, and he is before all things. So let's take these three descriptions of Jesus' pre-existence, beginning with he is the image of the invisible God, verse 15. Paul's focus is on eternity past before creation. He says that in verses 13 and 14 the beloved son, the redeemer is also the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ, the second person of the trinity, the eternal son of God is eternally and originally The image of the invisible God. This is Paul's point. This is what he's teaching. This is what he wants the Colossians to know about Jesus. The Bible affirms Christ is perfectly in the image of God from his incarnation coming to earth to take a human nature through all of redemptive history into eternity. In his incarnate and in his exalted state the bible teaches that christ is the divine image paul says this in second corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 where he refers to christ's incarnate state that is as he ministered here on earth and then his exhausted state as he ascended into heaven and is now reigning at the right hand of the father paul says christ is the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of God. So there's no, no doubt that Christ in his incarnate and exalted state is the image of God. But Paul's point is not Christ in his incarnate and exalted state. It is Christ in his preexistent state that is his point. Verse 15 declares the supremacy of Christ is based on the fact that he is the divine image of God in his pre-existent state in eternity past, before anything was created. One commentator said this, The first Adam was a creaturely replica of the eternal Son of God, thus an earthly sketch of the eternal pre-existent Son of God. So Paul's point is to say that before anything was created, Christ was eternally and originally the divine image second person of the trinity and he also says that christ the beloved son verse 13 the redeemer verse 14 is the firstborn of all creation the second part of verse 15 Uh, what does paul mean by that he can't possibly mean that jesus has a beginning firstborn might cause people to think that paul's meaning is similar to the meaning of psalm 89 27 where david is described as inheriting ruling authority as the firstborn. In fact, the text says that David is the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. And of course, this psalm is ultimately pointing to the messianic king, Jesus. But Paul's assertion assertion is that Christ as the firstborn of creation is an affirmation of his supremacy as the preexistent king and ruler over all creation. And also that he's the ultimate uh, cause of all that exist. Another commentator writes, Christ's titles of pre-existence underscore his sovereignty over the cosmos. Christ is the divine image and ruler of all things. He existed before creation. Christ, the beloved son, verse 13, the redeemer Verse 14 is also before all things, verse 17. He existed before anything was created. And he is sovereign over all. 17, the second part of verse 17, or uh, verse 16 rather. For by him all things were created. Through him and for him all things were created. And in him all things hold together. So in verse 16, Paul gives the the reason for affirming Jesus' supremacy over creation. For, Paul says, by him all things were created. And what Paul is meaning here is that clearly Jesus was not the first thing created. Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, neither created nor self-created. In eternity past, Jesus was the agent of of all creation and the sphere in which all things were created nothing in all creation lies outside of a sovereign rule look at the end of verse 16 reflects on this all things were created through him and for him he is both the agent and the sphere of creation and we need to see that that the all in all things is all-inclusive All inanimate and animate things were created without exception in the earthly realm, in the heavenly realm, visible things, things invisible. This includes the seen and unseen rulers, authorities, thrones, dominions, rulers, even in the spiritual realm. In verse 17, Paul summarizes, Christ is Lord over creation. He is before all things. He is the preexistent divine image and ruler over all. And in him all things hold together. He created all and is sovereign over all. Every square inch and every molecule, even evil, fallen, wicked, spiritual powers is under his sovereign control. So that is what Paul is teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. His sovereignty, his lordship over all because he is the pre, preexistent divine image, the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. Let me draw one implication. How would Paul's affirmation... About Jesus as Lord of the Cosmos, sovereign over all. Inspire the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. How might it inspire us? As the Colossians face false teaching, Paul wants them to know who Jesus is, sovereign, so they will not be deceived by these false teachers. Jesus is Lord of the Cosmos. Christ's sovereign rule extends even to the unseen powers, the evil spiritual powers behind the false teachers that are a threat to them. In Christ, all things are held together. He sustains the cosmos. He is in complete control and maintains complete control over creation. Even when creation looks like it's spiraling out of control into chaos for us. Does it appear that way to you at times? That things are, that the wheels are coming off and the world is spiraling into oblivion? Paul says, don't be deceived. Christ is sovereign over all, He is sovereign over what we see as chaos. And he is bringing about his purposes in that. Paul inspires the believers then and now to walk worthy by walking in the knowledge of who Christ is. The preexistent Lord of creation, Lord over all. And then Paul in verses 18 through 23 turns to this second aspect of Christ that he wanted the Colossians to know. And and that is what Christ has done. He is the sovereign Lord over redemption. We just consider that Christ is Lord over the first creation. And now Paul turns and teaches that Christ is Lord over a new and everlasting creation brought about by his sovereign redeeming work. Christ's sovereignty of redemption described in verse 18. He starts out by saying, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. And here Paul is affirming Christ's absolute authority and rule over this new creation visibly manifested in the church of Jesus Christ. As the head, he is also the source of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And here Paul points not only to Christ being the source, but also that that the resurrection of of Christ is, is the inauguration, the beginning of this new creation, the church, the visible manifestation of this new creation. As Christ is preeminent over the first creation, he is preeminent over this new creation. Verse 18 ends with this assertion that in everything... He might be preeminent literally he might have first place Christ's absolute sovereignty extends to eternity past when he created the old creation it extends to the new creation inaugurated by his resurrection and the establishment of his church and it extends to his redeeming work in the lives of the Colossians it extends to his redeeming work In your life and in my life. And it extends to the consummation and beyond into eternity future. That in everything the Lord Jesus Christ might be preeminent. And why should Christ be preeminent in all creation? Verse 19, Christ is fully God. We talked about this in the previous section Christ, the second person of the Trinity here, Paul just elaborates upon that, that Christ is fully God, and he has a right to reconcile things to himself, bringing peace by his redeeming and reconciling work. And then verse 20 drills down into the basis of Christ's redeeming and reconciling work. He says that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. Later in Colossians, Paul will say this in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 14 And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross the redeeming reconciling work of the Lord Jesus Christ bringing about this new creation sovereign as the redeemer to recreate those out of sinful humanity that are the Lord's and in fact to recreate creation new heavens and new earth Christ is sovereign over all why is there a need for redemption Adam who was created in the image of God as we read earlier the first Adam being a replica of the archetype image of God the divine image in heaven but Adam failed He sinned, became a sinner. and his sin, nature extends to his posterity, the human race, you and me. Enmity now characterizes the relationship between God and his creation, God and his creatures, God and man. Even creation itself is affected by the fall. And Paul tells us in Romans 8 that it groans for redemption. Jesus, the Lord over redemption, brings about a new creation by his reconciling work on the cross. By his blood, the debt of sin the sinner owes God has been paid for and canceled in full. The enmity that, that sin created has been wiped out, and now peace characterizes the new creation and the new creature, the new person. In Christ Jesus. In order for peace to reign in this new creation, not only do the sinners need to be reconciled, but the rebellious enemies of Christ, be it the spiritual powers that are unseen and those who are the hands and feet of those spiritual powers that are unseen, that are seen rebelling against Christ and his church. In order for peace to reign, the enemies, the rebellious enemies of Christ must be defeated and destroyed. His reconciling work renews creation and one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Now I want to draw an implication at this point. How would Paul's affirmation about Jesus as Lord of redemption in a new creation by his reconciling work, inspire the Colossians to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Jesus is sovereign over the evil spiritual powers and the false teachers that are threatening the church in Colossae. He is also the Lord of redemption, bringing reconciliation and peace. And he will bring peace and what that means is he will defeat and destroy the enemies of Christ and the enemies of peace. Paul inspires the believer to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, conscious that the Lord is not only sovereign over those evil powers, that opposition that they face, but he will bring about peace, and that means... He will defeat the enemies and he will destroy the rebellious. He will vanquish every foe that rebels against him and his church. We must walk optimistically. Knowing that the Lord of creation and the Lord of redemption is sovereign and will vanquish his enemies and he's bringing about something better in the future restoration a consummated creation where peace reigns but i want to make one more implication the lord of redemption has reconciled you paul says Look at verses 21 through 23, and you. I want us to see something here. Paul starts out in verse 15 with Jesus as Lord of the cosmos, (laughs) encompasses everything. And then Paul, beginning in verse 18, kind of drills down a little bit, zeroes in a little bit on Jesus, the Lord of redemption, a new creation, the church. Out of that sinful humanity, he is redeeming and reconciling a mass of sinners to God and gathering them into the manifestation of this new creation, the church. By the way, this should really excite us about being members of the church of Jesus Christ. The church is the visible manifestation of this new creation. The Lord, of, the Lord of Redemption is bringing about. And so from the cosmos to the church, and then like a laser-focused boom, you. Paul is saying, Colossians, Paul is saying, believers at covenant, this sovereign Christ is very Personal. His lordship over creation and his lordship over redemption is very personal. He is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over redemption. He is sovereign over you. Once the Colossians and all of us were alienated from God, verse 21. We were not just alienated from God, Paul says, but we were hostile towards God we were hostile towards the church our minds were corrupt and in effect we hated God we were alienated we acted out our hatred towards God our hostility in works of evil we were more like those false teachers more like those pagan idolaters, more like those vile sinners than we would like to think. But what happened? Recreation took place. And a new creation was reborn in us. The Lord of redemption reconciled you, reconciled them, reconciled us, reconciled me, personalize it. Verse 22, in his body of flesh by his death. That is, Jesus made peace between you and me and God by the blood of his cross. Verse 20, the new creation could not be described in any greater ways than how Paul describes it here. This before and after redemption description before reconciliation before reconciliation alienated hostile evil after Christ reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death we are now presented as holy and blameless and above reproach and notice the qualifier very important in him In him points to the fact that we are accepted before God on the merits of Christ's reconciling and atoning work on the cross where our sins are pardoned from guilt and we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ credited to us. I think this is an allusion to the doctrine of justification. Thus Paul declares here at the end of this passage that we're considering today what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is what a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come paul inspires believers in colossae and even today here at covenant To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, convinced that the Lord of redemption really does bring peace by by his reconciling work on the cross. He does that personally in you and in me. He brings peace in our relationship with God. He vanquishes every foe not only outside of us who stand against the church, but we need to understand that he vanquishes the rebellious foe in each one of us. He conquers us, our catechism says, and he brings us to himself, and he makes us new creations in Christ Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in gratitude for Jesus' sovereign reconciling work in each one of us. As we think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it should affect how we live. Verse 23 concludes the section. And in verse 23, Paul is not doubting that the Colossians will remain faithful, if indeed you continue in the faith, he's, he's not suggesting that someone can fall away from the state of grace. Rather, Paul is encouraging them to understand that persevering in faith to the end is essential in living the Christian life, is essential in walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, God works in us. We know ultimately that's the reason we walk worthy is because of God's work in us. But he works in us and we also are called to work out of his power poured out in us. Walking worthy to the end. A walk that is stable. A walk that is steadfast. A walk that is not shifting about from one philosophy to another but as solidly on the gospel of hope, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul prayed, Lord, I gave you thanks. I give you thanks for the Colossians or walking worthy. Way to go, Colossians. And then he asked God, but God, make them walk in a more worthy way show them who you are show them what you have done I simply want to encourage us all to understand that our manner of living is directly proportional to the depth of our understanding Of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Who is Jesus? Paul says, He is the Lord over creation. And what has Jesus done for us? Paul says, He is the Lord over redemption. The takeaway for us is this we must keep learning about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done we must keep embracing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done that by God's grace and by his power that being fully convinced more and more of Jesus the sovereign Lord of creation Jesus the sovereign Lord of redemption and reconciling all things to him, Himself, that indeed we may walk in a manner that is more and more worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Yes, we were inspired by those white grave markers in a military cemetery, and our lives should be affected. We should live more grateful lives based on the sacrifice of those who have served our country but even more our lives should be affected we should be inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ who is sovereign over all and is sovereign over you and me as new creations in Christ Jesus. Will you study about him? Will you learn about him? Will you pick up your Bibles often and pour out yourself to the word of God that you may know more and more who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you tell us all we need to know about you and about your will for us and the way of salvation. You tell us everything that we need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ in your word. And Father, my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters here at Covenant is that you would impress upon us more and more that we need to study about Jesus. And our inspiration must come from his person and his work that we would walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.